Good morning, everyone. Um, how are we all doing this morning? I have a really exciting guest that is actually tuned in all the way from the States, Jim Frawley. Super excited to have you here. Um, just a little bit about Jim Frawley if you don't know who he is. Um, so Jim Frawley, he owns a business called Bellwether um, and he's a strategic consultant for organisations and needing an end-to-end partner to combat fast-evolving economy and he talks about this a lot in his book um, and it's all around adapting and change management which is really prevalent right now and I think not even just now if you do coaching um, it is all around change management and how we manage ourselves and the environment around us when, when we look at change and he really looks at organizational design talent planning and business management he's an executive coach and he works with leaders to accelerate their career into the c-suite so he has really that corporate top level experience and um, behind him he's um 20 years experience so he really understands those pain points um within that executive area and field and he's a lot of understanding around people and processes and how that works and he's a leadership speaker as well so he does a lot of talks around this he has his own podcast as well check it out i was listening to these great hints and tips and um, if you are working with teams great bite-sized information there to really take away and nuggets that you can use and in everyday managing in the workplace. I'm really excited to talk to him today. We're going to really talk around um, psychological safety in the workplace, culture in the workplace, and um, how we really adapt, I suppose, um, when things are up against us. And we, before we went live, um, we were talking a little bit around the great resignation and how to retain talent and people within the workplace. So super excited to have you on, Jim. Um, I'm excited to be here. I'm going to save this introduction because it's very, very good. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. So thoughts, I suppose, around um obviously you're in the States. It's still a global thing at the moment. I'm based here in Ireland. And you know, we do we have an issue at the moment in retail and hospitality across the board with really retaining staff and keeping them engaged and in the workplace. And a lot of them are leaving right now. I suppose what is your thoughts around there? What do you think that uh that, that organizations can do to retain their staff? It's a loaded question. There's a lot you can do, but it's, um, I feel that if you're struggling to keep people now, whatever you're doing is almost too little, too late. Uh, The people who who have decided to leave, decided to leave a long time ago. And now they're taking a paycheck because it's difficult to find people. There's a lot of money out there in the marketplace to find really, really good people. The challenge organizations are going to have is the best people are getting those higher paychecks somewhere else. So those are the people that are leaving and those are the people you don't want to leave. So first and foremost, when I speak to organizations about retention and, and keeping the right kind of people in place mm-hmm. is engaging them in discussion on what it is exactly that they want to do. So we're trying to fit the square peg into a round hole, dictate what it is that people want. Oh, people want this. People want to stay at home. People want to get paid more. People want you know all of these things. But everybody's motivated by something different. And so engaging and starting the conversation and completely rethinking the way that we're thinking about our people, that's ultimately where we need to get. Why do you have people working there? What are you doing to measure their success? What's the path that they're going to be on? And how do you give them the skill set to dictate it themselves? People ultimately want control. They want two things, really. They want control over their career. They don't know how to get it, but they also want to feel like the organization has their back 
And so engaging them in that discussion and making them feel like they're heard and recognizing that they're heard is what you really, that's what they're really looking for. I know plenty of people who are staying in jobs for less money because the organization has their back and they feel like they're in a really, really good place with their company. They get the flexibility they want. They've got families at home. They, they're comfortable with where they are. And so they have the environment in place that they actually want to stay in. Mm, really interesting. So taken from that, it's about creating an environment really that, that, that inhibits people to, to have that autonomy almost to, to, to have a little bit of input into that. Um, I've worked with a lot of organizations and what can happen sometimes is, is we have marketing, we pay for, and they all work in silos and we implement things like, you know, uh, behavioral values from a HR piece or whatever that might be. And, and, you know, they're really good. They sound amazing, but they get stuck in that area. And then we might do a project in marketing around it, or we might do, there might be a real buzz for the first couple of weeks, but it just really loses momentum. Um, how do companies keep that going, I suppose? Because for me, it was always the top down, really, um, because the guys on the front line that are that are trying to implement that, they can only do so much with the resources that they have, Jim. Um, and I used to find even, um, you know, we would get it from, from above us and we'd be like, right, OK, well, you know, it sounds amazing. But like, how does it affect me and everyone else on a day to day basis? You know what I mean? Like, these are right. great things to have. But, you know, um, like, I suppose, you know, and, and part of me kind of thinks sometimes, um, is it just the buzzwords that's really getting people, you know, how is it really applicable? Um, you know, looking at scenarios for me personally, right, how does it fit in um, to the day to day running of the business? You know, we want people to be authentic or thrown around these words like authentic leadership you know uh yeah it's great in theory but like what does that mean it means something to it means different to different people it's it's a different meaning and holding I think a little bit and I think sometimes we forget that we look at it like a blanket approach this is it you know we we lose that individualist um approach to certain things with people I think we we nearly look at everyone as the same does that make sense Jim yeah, absolutely. And it's it's where most of these programs really fail. Yeah. Um, when you sit at organizations and you take a look at the people creating these programs, yeah, there's this weird dynamic of we have to pitch and sell management who's very philosophical and theory-based on what it is we want to do, but it falls down and how is this actually going to be applicable in the workplace? I make jokes about you know a lot of coaches who come in and they know all about the theory but they've never worked in an office. And so, you know, it's not going to work. And so it's great. And you could do this kind of talk in circles and we're going to talk about resiliency and we're going to talk about authenticity. and We're going to talk about all these different things. Uh, But at the end of the day, when I'm sitting here crunching on my computer or working with a client or whatever it is, that's irrelevant to what, to whatever it is that I need to get done today. And what we need to do and, and the challenge with profiling people and, giving personality assessments. And it's all the same as we don't go far enough yeah. and we don't, we could tell them what we're hoping to do from an organizational perspective and why it's beneficial from the organizational perspective, yeah. but we need to teach people how to internalize that and say, this is how it's beneficial for me. If I, when I was in corporate 15, 20 years in corporate, I was so frustrated with exactly that. I hated, you know, the, it was just almost false promises 
ridiculous kind of theory things. I began to resent it. And everybody sitting around the water cooler is talking about the same thing. Like, here we go again, another one of these buzzwords. What I didn't realize until after I had left was that it was really good. I just didn't know how to use it. I didn't know how to make it my own, right? I would love to be resilient. I would love to be authentic, but I didn't know how to internalize it and take it that step further so that it was actually tangible for me. And so that's a major task to do, especially the larger the organization, because there's filters. And is the manager that you have capable of teaching you how to do that? And what are the resources? And how do you teach people to find what it is that they need so that they can learn to be really dynamic and resilient and authentic and whatever the word is that you want to do? Because that's where it's going to be tangible is when an individual can actually make those words real for themselves. Yeah, I absolutely love what you said there um, around it being tangible to use an individual. And I think that whole piece of selling, you know, that new program, that new project, that new thing um, to the management team. And it's all philosophical and it's all great in theory. Um, I've seen that and I've been there where, you know, you're being told that this is the best thing. And, you know, and I used to have people come to me on the same level as me. They go. Louise, this is absolutely bananas. This isn't going to work. Like, where do you think we're going to have the time? Like, do we have to close the door of the store and literally implement all of this? Like, how can we do that with the workload we have? It's totally unrealistic. So I would always say, okay, right, we don't want to be a negative Nancy, okay? Because if you ever say that to you, to the person above you, they go straight away, oh my God, you're putting it down, but you haven't even tried it yet. So I'll go, okay, let's try it. Let's give them a bit of feedback. And um, look, it's not working for X, Y, and Z. I've tried it for this many weeks, whatever it might be. But at the same time, I used to always not wonder, right, why don't they get the people that are actually implementing it at the bottom level involved in the process? And I still see it there, that gap. And I'm like, why in the name of God are we still in a place where we're, you know, we have these people who aren't actually implementing it, you know, making this and not getting those people involved in it. And the companies that do really well are the ones that actually get people involved in that process because they go right let's test it out with the bottom see how that trickles up and what that actually looks like and um, instead they've seen this you know this really you know could be example of what you said there resilience training whatever that might be authentic leadership they put people on these training programs they go off site for a few days they get oh, everyone super excited about it everyone comes back going yeah I've, I've learned something but then what we have haven't really looked at is we haven't looked at giving them the time to implement it and we haven't given them strategies around implemented it we've given them the theory of it so now I'm back in my desk again or back in my shop floor again as a manager and I'm going right they've told me all this great stuff but now I'm dealing with the day-to-day -day problems they're coming up against fast and heavy and all of that now has gotten parked and you know within a few weeks it's, that information is lost and it's gone and I've done absolutely nothing with it. I feel frustrated because I actually really liked the ideas, but I now haven't had the opportunity to implement them. And now we're back to square one again. And we're going to do another management program in a year's time again with the same stuff, but packaged differently. You know, um, right. it's like a hamster wheel. It is. And it goes on and on and on. And everybody gets frustrated. Um, the When we structure these, you, you're absolutely right with co-creating whatever the program is. and if you want any kind, the reason any change management program fails, the reason any these training programs fails is people reject it, whether they don't like the change or they're just not capable of making the change. And they don't have the resources to do it. Um, 
most of my engagements, we'll sit there, we'll do the, the workshop. It has to be experiential. Everybody has to put their personal stamp on it. It can't just be a presentation from a managerial standpoint, but there has to be a follow-up. And the follow-up has to be what changes have you implemented? Maybe a month later, maybe two months later, what changes have you implemented? We're testing behaviors. Did it work? Did it not? What's working for this person? What's working for that person? And engaging that conversation so that they can continue to grow it over time so that the next year when you're doing the management training, coaching, whatever workshop you're doing, it's building upon the previous year. And it's almost this ongoing business case that you're watching and aware of the evolution of the business that everybody's involved in. Do you think organizations put, when they're doing these trainings, when they're doing this, they put a focus more on the change and the, you know, the, uh, the outcomes of the change? Do you think that they're missing that a lot of the time? Well, a lot of times, if we're talking about change management, mm-hmm. um, too often the focus is on the change that has to happen, mm-hmm. right? And it's externally focused. What change is happening to the organization and, and what change is happening to the individual and we're focused externally. And the way to deal with macro change is to focus on the micro individual and what resources do they have to respond to that particular change that they need to do. So if an organization is trying to say, we want to reorg the group and we're going to change this process and we're going to do X, Y, Z. All of this comes down to each component link in that chain. How are they going to be able to internalize this, make their impact and implement it that way? So any macro change has to follow and focus on the individual and how they're actually able able to be internalizing it and, and implementing it and focusing on it that way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think for for me personally, and, and just I suppose to um to give an example, I worked in an organization before and um I worked with someone that was in that organization for a very long time. And I came in new to that business and I had all these ideas and I was super excited. I was going to change everything. Um, But that person above me really didn't want any change. They wanted things left the way they were because they were in that organization for, you know, 15 plus years. This is the way they've done it. Um, And it's quite hard, I think, if you have the next line above you. So even if you have someone at a certain level that's open to that change, it's adaptable. And if you have someone above them that doesn't want that change, that resistance can be quite hard to actually to understand and to actually implement. That's right. Yeah. And it's uh, I I could name a lot of people from my time in corporate that it was so difficult and impossible to do and so frustrating that I eventually just left the organization. Because it yeah. wasn't going to change. Nobody above that person even cared about it. Um, and, and we forget, especially with the pandemic, most people, their view into the culture of the organization, the change of the organization, the view of the organization and what we're desiring to change. Mm-hmm. There is a very narrow filter and it's that person's manager. It's their one view into the organization. Yeah. And so when we're all working from home, or we're all working from wherever retail is a little different, but everything goes through that one individual. That mm-hmm. is a major clog point for the organization and what it is that you're looking to do. So it's not just giving an individual the ability to figure it out for themselves. We have to also go one level above and say, give the managers the tools because many of them don't know how to implement change. Many of them don't know how to have difficult conversations. Many of them, many of them don't have time to have the difficult conversation. So how do we teach them to do from a time management perspective and a coaching perspective, 
teach them that they should be coaching each individual. What does leadership and management actually mean to the organization? When we're building learning and development programs now, they're so, and I, I lift under the hood and we take a look at what's there. This stuff was written back in like 1990. It's 30 years old. It was like old Jack Welch kind of ridiculous um, ridiculous ideas and everything that we're trying to teach from a, from a coaching and management perspective. And we know now that it's completely outdated and it doesn't work. And so we have to completely revisit and take a look at what are the breakpoints and what do we need to find in order to get what it is that we want out of the organization? Yeah, it's individual self-efficacy and figuring, teaching people how to see the bigger view versus the small view. But then also, how do you teach people? It's as simple as how do you have a difficult conversation? How do you ask people for the feedback that you actually want? One of the biggest complaints I get from individual clients is I'm not getting the feedback that I need in order to get better. So, well, what are you doing to get that feedback? Because if you're going to sit and wait for somebody else, you're never going to get it. So how are we teaching these people to figure out the steps that they need to take in order to get what they need to push whatever agenda needs to be pushed? There's a combination of personal capability and the business ideal that we're trying to promote. And most people aren't able to, to pair those two. That's what I like to do is the personal capability and the business ideal. And how do we, how do we mesh those two together? Mm. Yeah, I think that's, I, I do think that the whole asking for feedback um. I think sometimes when people do that, I think the people that is asking, can I have feedback? The other person has a look of fear in their face from, from previous experience of, of even my own self. Like when, when I used to ask for feedback, I would get, oh, no, no, but everything's brilliant. Right, right. But, How am know, I doing? Oh, you're great. Yeah, don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. As in, oh, my God, like, where, where is this conversation going to lead to? You know, it's this kind of fear of, well, you know, it, it's nearly pitched still as a negative if yeah. we're talking feedback, it must be a negative place or constraint. You know, it, it's not that, you know, if, if we're saying you've done well, we don't actually do that in a feedback way. We go, oh, you're doing really well. And that's the end of it. Whereas we should be putting our feedback and giving it, well, why did you do well? Well, what did you do? How did you implement it? And I think, you know, for me, I still see that with managers. And it goes back to what you said there. I think in retail, especially, Jim, and and, and this is what I've seen through the past couple of years, and it might be different, you know, it's probably different in your in your area, but in retail, in order for you to progress in your pace scale, you need to move up, okay? Yeah, yeah. So what ends up happening is people get promoted because they're a good worker. Not necessarily do they have the people skills to manage, but they're a good worker. So she's really, really good. She stays behind. She gets all the work done. She does this, this, and this. Her KPIs are really good. Her individual KPIs are good, okay? But yeah. now we're going to promote her to manage a team and now she's to manage the team and their KPIs okay so yeah. that's very different to them managing themselves now they have to manage other people and they're not being given the training they're being thrown into the job because you know what that that line manager they're performing really well in the role but what we're not realizing is it's for a staff member to be well in the role that doesn't mean that they're ready or they have the people skills to move into that manager position and historically that's always been the case in that industry that you promote because you're a good worker and and that's where what ends up happening is um that person gets promoted they don't have the capability or the competence to actually you know and um, do well in the role and they either get really demotivated and they leave because the pressure is too much for them or they stay in the role and they're firefighting yeah. Yeah. And that was, that's what ends up happening. And, and so you're absolutely right. There's from a manager perspective versus a doer perspective. Yes. Two very different skill sets. 
And there are actually three levels. If you look at, you know, I was, I was speaking to the head HR person in one of these organizations. He likes to teach people there are three. It's one, you've got an individual, you're an individual contributor. Mm-hmm. Two is you've got a team mentality. So how are you making the people around you better? Which is ultimately what management is all about, yeah. right? Your focus is on making them better. When you get people who are really good at sales, really good at these KPIs, they'll just say, oh, I'll just do it. You know, I know how to do it better. That's not managing people mm-hmm. in the right way. It's you're taking too much on. So many people fail that way. And then above that, you've got an enterprise view, which is beyond the store, beyond the organization, looking out across the industry. And, and so those are the three levels that people need to focus on. Um, and when we're looking for that feedback to say, look, I want to be a manager. I want to run a store. I want to run whatever kind of group. In order to get that feedback, we have to express that desire so that people know the feedback to give you. And so you say, look, manager, you know, I really, you know, in the next couple of years, I'd like to move up into this kind of role of managing this segment of the business, whatever it is. I'd like to talk to you on a regular basis to make sure I can get the feedback on the skill sets I'm going to need to be really successful in that. And if you set it up properly, now, granted, it should be the manager's job to be setting it up for you, but it doesn't always happen. You can set it up as well, where you start to articulate where you want to go so that you lay the proper foundation so that people are able to give you that feedback that you actually need so that you can learn that new skill set to managing a team versus just doing the KPI work and getting the, the normal day-to-day done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I love what you've said there a few times where you've actually brought it back to the individual um, and, and have them take that ownership piece. Yeah. Um, because I do see a lot of the time um, people get annoyed and they're sitting back and they're going, well, I'm waiting to be asked for the promotion. And I would say, why would you wait to be asked for the promotion? You know, and, and many times where people have, they haven't gone for a promotion in an organization because they have that sense of entitlement. And because of whatever they've delivered, they feel, well, you know, I've done so much that I need to now be asked for that promotion but that's not the way things work you know fairness and all of that and 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 processes so it's quite interesting that you know I don't see enough of that people taking accountability for their own career in the workplace do you know I I don't see that a lot and and part of it is because it's how we were taught yeah um you know, we're, we're always told if you work really hard, it'll pay off. You'll get your promotion, work really hard and everybody you'll get recognized for your work. Mm-hmm. It's a load of BS. It's not going to happen. Um, you know, many people say, oh, I didn't want to put my name in the hat because I wanted to be humble and I didn't want people to think I was too arrogant. And they find all of these reasons. But ultimately, if you don't do it, somebody else will and they're going to take it. And it's the person who takes it that gets whatever a person who raises their hand, puts their head up, says, I want that. They're the one that's going to get it. Most people aren't thinking about where you need to go. Most people aren't thinking about giving you a promotion because they're thinking about themselves and what their next role is. They don't have the time or capacity or anything to worry about the 15 people on their team and and thinking about, are they getting, you know, who's going to, you know, how do I promote this person? How do I promote this person? It, It just doesn't happen that way. So you have to articulate and take whatever it is that you want. And that's not a, a, an arrogance thing. It's, it's, it's certainly a confidence thing, but to express a desire, give yourself the agency to say, I want something and starting that conversation to say, how do I get it? And using your manager as one tool to get to that next level. That's one person who can give you feedback, who could potentially put a good buzz in in somebody else's ear. Your manager is a utensil for you. And that person should be helping you get to whatever it is, but you ultimately have to dictate where it is that you want to go. 
Yeah, definitely. And we would always say anywhere I've worked, you know, you, I would have never chose a company. I would always choose the managers I'm going to be working with because yeah. at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to give me that promotion. They're the ones that are going to make that environment. And and if, if I do need support, that's who I'm going to need. It's that personality piece for me anyways, as an individual. And going back to what you said there, which I thought was great, was around, you know, they are the representation of the organization. That manager that you said there a while ago, they are that whole organization to that individual. And it goes back to I'm a parent, you're a parent. You know, our mums and dads were growing up. They're our whole world. Yeah, they're our worldview. We go into the workplace. We have that one or two line manager. They are that company. They are that kind of worldview piece that we have. And I suppose people that are in that are in manager positions at the moment in retail. um, How do they kind of get people, I suppose, motivated or how do they get that kind of that buy-in um do you think that they can do it on that level where it's maybe a very large organization but they want to retain their team and they could be running a small business and they what could they implement to really give um as you said there you know that micro that micro support on the individual maybe having conversations with them as you said around you know where they want to go um you know, it was what you said there. I just actually a thought entered my head. I worked with someone, and I don't know is this applicable. I worked a, a many years ago, and um, and I I couldn't give the person a pay rise. Okay, we just didn't have the budgets at the time. They they were in college and they were studying um visual merchandising. They wanted to do visual merchandising, the windows, all of that sort of thing. And I said to them, I can't give you a pay rise, but I know you're doing this in university and this is a part time gig. But what I can do is I can actually send you to different sites around Ireland whereby you're doing these window dressings. So that will build into your portfolio for your degree and will also give you that on site experience. You can put that into your CV then as well when you move on. And they stayed with me because I offered them something that was of benefit to them. It wasn't the money, but it was something that was helping them, you know, towards their future, really, their future career. And and it was, again, having a conversation with them and going, right, what can I give them? Because as you said there, um, it's about being that utensil. It's about, well, what can they get? It's not just, you know, where you know, there used to be uh, there used to be a thing of, well, you go to work and aren't you lucky you have a job? So in Ireland years ago, my parents used to say to me, I'd be saying, oh, you know, just not enjoying this or it's not going the way I want it. And they would immediately say, you're so lucky to have a job, you know. And obviously I was born in, you know, in the 80s. So they're kind of going, you know, Louise, like. They went through that whole recession, you know, we ended up moving to the UK at one point, but they kind of, they're, they have this mentality whereby, you know, you should be lucky you have a job. And I'm kind of going, oh my God, I can't hear this anymore. It's not just about <laughs> getting paid, you know, it's more than that. Life is more than about that, you know. But um, yeah, I was just thinking, is it things like that that people could do to, to get that buy-in or that kind of, that relationship thing going, do you think? Yeah, it's, you know, one of the things I learned when I left corporate, and I wish I had learned way earlier was that there are no rules, mm-hmm. right? There are no rules in the way that things are supposed to be. You could ultimately create and dictate whatever it is that you want to do to get the feedback and buy-in from your teams. Mm-hmm. I would say 
the first thing you have to do is create the foundation so that a conversation can happen. And what I mean by that is if you're managing 15 people, recognize one, that you're in a position of power over these people. So you actually have to do the work to get them to share and open up what their hopes and desires are. People are intimidated by it. So in order to do that, it's more than just an annual review of how they're doing. It's an ongoing, maybe quarterly conversation with everybody saying, and it may not just be to give feedback. It may just be, hey, each quarter, I want to talk to everybody about what's going on. What can I do to help? You know, what's great in your job, what's not, and come up with maybe four or five questions on your own that you can really ask them to get them to engage. And plenty of them are online. If you Google, you know, you could find plenty of questions to say, how do you get people to talk about what it is that they want to do within the organization? But you have to be sincere about it. This can't just be a check the box thing. You actually have to sit and talk to them and listen. You don't have to do all kinds of things and solve all their problems. It's more about starting the conversation. And having it evolve over time so that you can co-create whatever that person wants to do next. Because ultimately, as your manager, you're teaching them how to ask these questions. You are a utensil for that person. So you're almost teaching them how to just use you a little bit, but then also go off on their own to dictate whatever it is that they want to do. And so that's, you know, from a psychological safety perspective, when we talk about psychological safety, a lot of people just you know, that one, they roll their eyes because it sounds so soft, but it's really, it's a legitimate aspect of managing people and it's giving them a voice and allowing them to articulate what it is without a fear of, you know, being embarrassed or humiliated or, or whatever it is. You know, I, I want to run this business one day. Let them say that. That's fantastic. You want that person on your team because they're going to be a learner. And how do you ask them what they're learning and ask them how they're developing? People get excited when they're learning something new. And when they're able to articulate things and say things, uh, that's going to make them do it. We never, 99% of the advice we get from other people, we don't take it because it's not for us. It's disingenuous. But when we articulate that advice and say it for ourselves, all of a sudden we're much more excited about doing something and we're willing to accept it. Mm, Definitely. And I think that's where the coaching comes in and those, those kind of conversations where they're not they're not being led by that manager we're not looking for something we're not looking to hear I think sometimes we have conversations and we're, we're looking to hear something that we want to hear instead right. of really seeing what where are they at in this process and meeting them where they're at right now in that moment in time um, and I definitely think you know, I worked for a lot of places where people used to be afraid of the annual appraisal because it was all a scoring system. It was, you know, you'd see a couple of weeks before the, you know, the appraisal, people would be panicking. They'd be looking at their KPIs and they'd be biting their nails and that you could see the look at, you know, and it was the way it was structured in the organization. It wasn't a real measurement tool because it was, you know, we're going to measure this aspect. But a lot of the time it doesn't measure the um the invisibles you know the 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 attitudes and the behaviors we don't I don't see enough of that you know um do they when we launch new initiative do they really help support implementing that in the business do we do we give people kudos for that you know and if someone is sick and they're coming in and covering do we give them kudos for being flexible for supporting their colleagues that are maybe out sick or something has happened you know those people that go around and they're as I say you know they're the unseen leaders where they get everyone together and pumped do we give them kudos for that 
or do we just look at the the the, the metrics you know and right. you know a lot of the time I used to see some of the people that weren't delivering the best KPIs but they were really really great at getting the team when they were having a down day they'd bring them up so mm-hmm. you wouldn't see the KPIs but if you watched them and observed them they were doing a lot more than that. They were getting those high achievers to actually go above and beyond. So I think those are the kind of things that we don't see enough of. Um, and, and touching around um, psychological safety in your book is around um, change and adapting change. Can you talk a little bit about your book and, and I suppose where it came from? Where was the motivation behind even starting it? Yeah, it's uh, it's called Adapting in Motion, Finding Your Place in the New Economy. It's ultimately... What it became was a book on how do you manage change when you don't know what change is coming, right? Change happens so quickly that if you're in a reactive state, uh, you're, you're just not going to, you're not going to survive, right? And you're not going to evolve as quickly as possible. And, you know, when I think about the pandemic hitting companies that were ready for online shopping and everything else skyrocketed and the ones who were trying to struggle to get it probably aren't in business anymore. So um, how do you get people ready to adapt to change when they don't know what change is coming. And so the impetus for, for writing it, I always wanted to write a book and I had started, I was traveling so much, probably about 15, 10 years ago. And I just started writing on the plane and writing ideas. And once the pandemic hit, I finally said, you know what, I'm going to sit down and actually just do it. And so got up at three every morning and just wrote, wrote, wrote. And, um, and that's what it came into. And so it was, it was very uh, prescient because it was the middle of the pandemic adapting to change. And so it was all of the things that I wish I had known years ago, back when I was in corporate. And if I had, if I had a coach back in corporate, if I had done all these things back in corporate, I probably would have taken a very different path potentially. Um, but there were just a lot of things, almost cathartic for me, almost teaching myself, this is what you need to do in order, in order to adapt to change. And is it based on your own experiences, Jim, what you've kind of gone through and how you've maybe adapted and, and the learnings you've taken both in your career in corporate and coaching as well? Yeah, it's, um, you know, when we take a look at, at any kind of change, it's an arc. And so mm-hmm. it starts with awareness, what change is happening, and you're aware that things are happening too quickly, your business can't respond quickly enough, mm-hmm. um, your team's not responding quickly enough, and we know technology's evolving faster than we can, you know, really keep up. So all of these things, that's fine, that's external, kind of like what we were talking before, you can't, you can't adapt that. So how do you, how do you get ready to adapt to those types of things. So the next up from awareness, you go to preparation. And how do you prepare yourself? Everything from the food you're eating affects the way that you think to your social networks are getting you to where you need to go. So from a physical, mental, social standpoint, financial standpoint, how are you preparing yourself for whatever change is coming down the pike? And from there, once you feel like you've got almost a grid of preparation, you then focus on learning. You know, what does humility actually look like and how do you become a learner and how do you ask really, really good questions? Because the greatest leaders that I know are the ones who can ask really, really good questions and they recognize their their limits of, of what they know and where to go and, and who are the people who are going to help them get to whatever that next level is. And beyond learning then is you're making good decisions. It's wisdom. You know, I've, I've learned a lot. I've prepared appropriately. These are the best decisions I can make in the moment. And it's this ongoing process of awareness, preparing, learning, and wisdom. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And that's your cycle to respond to change. Really interesting. Yeah, definitely the awareness piece uh, is something that even I've gone into my own business full time and it's it's a huge journey and um, I reflective practice a lot uh, I think 
you know, we can we can learn a lot from ourselves if we look a little bit within of where our thoughts are coming from and and, and how they're manifesting in, in different parts of the day in our life. So fast forward, so you've you've come out of your corporate career and what what would you say was the biggest hurdle um just for people listening in, maybe that's because a lot of people obviously we have the great resignation that's happening and a lot of people are unhappy in their jobs yeah. and they want to maybe move and they're in that transition period where they're they're maybe figuring out that the job they were in paid the bills but it just didn't necessarily fulfill them it didn't necessarily maybe meet their purpose in life or you know they're feeling very conflicted in that way what kind of what would you say would be your kind of looking back right that's kind of where I transitioned then what was going through your head or how how did that happen yeah it was um so my career was primarily in the financial industry and uh full of burnout I was doing PR for the banks during the financial crisis I was doing executive communications business strategy and it was um it was a lot of work um and I didn't want to do it like and it I could do the work. I was really good at the work, but I had no vision. I couldn't see where it was that I actually wanted to go. And I remember one of my bosses looking at me saying, you could run any business at this bank. Tell me what it is and you can have it. And I said, I don't, I don't want to do it. You know, it's just not what I want to do. So when I left and started my business and I had a plan before I, I left, it was, I went, got certified at Columbia from being a coach. And I went to a coach to talk about putting together a business plan and all of that. The first thing I had to learn was unlearning all of the things at corporate yeah. um, because it was just bad behaviors in, in corporate in general. Uh, and a lot of the assumptions that we make, especially after a 20 year career, you just sit there and you say, why am I doing things this way? And really starting to question that. I still, to this day, I mean, that was eight years ago. I still, to this day, mm-hmm. sometimes think about going back to corporate because the money's so good. Right. You could go back to corporate and, and there you still have to pay bills. And there is a lot of work that comes to being an entrepreneur. Mm. You have to do everything. You have to do marketing. You have to do administrative. You have to deliver the product. You have to sell the product. You have to do all of these. Um, so I, I would almost say in some respects, corporate's more easy. Mm. Uh, but you're also giving up a, a portion of yourself potentially uh, to, to get that ease in the money. And so what's that balance? And everybody's different. Some people prefer one thing versus the other. Um, but that's, you know, the big changes you have to do everything, unlearn what you learned in corporate. Uh, and it's, you know, enjoy the ride. It's, it's difficult, but it's fun. Yeah, definitely. I think if, if it's something, I think it's about, well, for me anyways, it might be with everyone else. It's about, feeling I'm actually making a difference in the world. That was always my, my, my thing within me was that if I feel I'm not making a difference in people's lives or in, I feel, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. I want to have a life that I'm kind of, I can stand back if I don't have a Lamborghini in the driveway, if I don't have a big, huge mansion, you know, is it really going to impact me on a day-to-day basis? Freaking not, you know, um, but, but that whole piece of connection with people and helping them and their journey uh, is something that, that always gave me joy within myself. And, and I think that was the, the deciding factor for me personally was having that autonomy, like you talked there about, and control and to, to control my own life and, and the outputs that it's going to have. Definitely. Yeah. And when you sit and I mean, it's ultimately what you're looking for is perspective. I think mm-hmm. when you're looking to make a change for that is you know, are you okay giving up the paycheck? Mm. But most of your social circle is probably in a similar tax bracket as what you are, right? Mm. So are you okay stepping back from that, at least for a little while? Um, 
but also recognize, you know, when I started, I guess it was eight years ago, I was in my mid to late thirties. Mm. I had another 30, 20, 30 years of, of working. There was no way I was going to do that at a bank. There was just no way I was going to spend another 20, 30 years. And I think a lot of people with the great resignation are starting to recognize that. Uh, I also see a lot of people going back to corporate because they made the effort and they say, you know what, this actually isn't what I thought it was going to be. And they're going back. So, um, but in a matter of perspective, do you want to spend the next 20, 30 years? If it is going to be in corporate, that's fine. You could do that. But when you figure out the perspective of what it is you actually want, is corporate uh, a tool to get you to do whatever it is to take your kids on vacation every year? fine. Okay. If you have a desire to get your kids into college and do all that stuff, that paycheck is helping you do that. And we have to step back and say, it's not just a job. It's also funding whatever it is that I actually want to do with my life. Then that's fine. And for many people that works and people are starting to create their boundaries and putting their work in that type of place to say, look, you're a utensil. I'm happy to give you the work. I'm happy to give you some time but I'm not going to give you my weekends because that's going back to my family and everything else. So people are, are able to get that perspective without leaving corporate, mm. uh, but understand what's actually really, really important to them. Yeah. I think it's, I think what has been great around the COVID and the resignation, all of that, I think people are finally starting to look for more from their employers people are finally starting to ask for more and we're not just taking whatever has been given to us um from that and I think I hope my hope would be that that more organizations are you know involving those people a lot more in those decisions you know that it's not just at a board level that we're actually looking at people outside of that boardroom and to get involved in that decision making process or even just to have you know feedback around the decisions they're making and because I think it it really makes a difference in the culture and in an organization when you have you know different departments at different levels and you know very much in 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 especially in the industry I've been and you know you have this person it's very much at a whatever level of seniority where that's how loud your voice is going to be heard you know and and I would love to see that flipped more around whereby you know we have that upside down triangle where we're really looking from the bottom up um, and we're getting more people and because we're really then seeing how things are being implemented on a day-to-day basis not just moving on to the next you know we buy in stock we buy stuff we ship it off nobody ever hears of it again because now we're on to the next new project and we never really analyze what the implementation has happened and what the outcome of that might have been so I really hope with this recession thing that we're really looking for innovation within companies at a lower level and we're looking for that entrepreneurship that everyone has within themselves but tapping into that more with the individuals in that workplace um instead of depending on where your ranking is yeah it's um and i i a lot of the companies i'm working with now are starting to embrace that where they're saying you know we have employees but it's almost like entrepreneurs and residents and when you're working from home or working virtually it's a whole new skill set to articulate your value. And, and many people are having a hard time articulating their value. And that's part of the entrepreneurship of working from home and saying, this is what I'm doing for the organization. This is what warrants my $150,000, $200,000 paycheck. And, and having people able to do that, um, I think that's going to be a future of work for a lot of organizations to say, 
we don't hire just employees. We're hiring entrepreneurs with specialties, and this is how they're going to move around the organization. Yeah, I love that. And I think I think it's that to me is, is going to be so key with where things are going. You know, we're going to hire. So, you know, you're really good. Could be as you know, you're a manager, but you're really, really good on social media. So, you know, we're going to put you in that position. But, you know, if you want to go into that social media, you know, we're really tapping into people's individual talents yeah. as opposed to this is the job spec. This is how you're going to do, you know, instead of putting people into boxes that we break that box down a little bit and we look at, right, what is their skill set and how best can we utilize that in our business? And to really, you know, to really tap into that, because I think for a long time we didn't do that. You know, it was, you know, we, we want this is what we wanted. We don't want to hear about anything else and um, because this is the way it is you know this is what we this is the box you're going to stay in so I, I think that entrepreneurship piece will really I think it'll bring organizations to another level and it's yeah. going to be a whole new skill set for people to learn I mean we're, it's not even going to be dictating based on skill set you're going to move the dictation out of it and say yeah. this is the project and direction we're going into and have people pitch to say yeah. I want to be on that project I want to be on that project I want to be the accountant for that project I want to be the marketer for that project and now all of a sudden you really have to learn how to articulate your value. And it's a, it's a completely new way to work and way to think about going into the office. Yeah. It's more facilitative as opposed to prescriptive. Definitely. Right. Yeah. With that. Um, I've loved talking to you, Jim. Um, you're really interesting. You've so many Thanks. different perspectives and views on all of this. And it's really interesting to see your take on it because um, just even from the learning and development, I can hear from all the different things and stories that you have. Um, it's really, really interesting. So I really appreciate you coming on this morning. Thank you so much. Thank um, you so much. Out, Jim. You're welcome, Jim. Please check out Jim Crawley. Um, check out his book. It's absolutely amazing. And his podcast is fantastic. Um, Bellwether, Jim, you're absolutely amazing. Um, thank you for coming on this morning. And I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks.